All right. Hello, that's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. Just reading each other's lips. Yeah, we try to read each other's lips, but we should just like close our eyes and like say, <laughs> wait, true crime. Because <laughs> I, I think the trying to read lips throws us off. Yeah, that's true. It, we are trying too hard and we get in our heads yeah, about it. We both like do this thing where we like raise our eyebrows and we're really excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> We've been quarantined for over a month. Too long. Too long. Too oh. long too long mm-hmm. i for fun the other night went to the grocery store at like 7 30 at night oh because i was like it was it was last saturday night actually because oh. i was like you know i was gonna go sunday but i need something to do now and there will be fewer people and that was my big adventure oh my gosh then what did you do sunday what did i do sunday oh that was the day i binged unorthodox <gasps> oh my gosh that's right i we were supposed to talk about it it's so so good. nuts for those of like, you who who haven't watched it, it's on Netflix. It's like six or seven episodes. Yeah, it's about it's so good. It's so good. It's about a young girl in like the Hasidic community in Brooklyn, um, and like she runs away, and it's like the story of why and how, and it's amazing. Yeah, and it's it's based on a memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, her first name is Deborah can't remember her last name. You um, could easily Google like the yeah. memoir of unorthodox. Yeah. And she wrote the, the, um, the show. Did so she it's really? Like, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like, it's not like exactly like play by play of her life, but it's like based on her life. And it, so it's like, it's like real, like these things happened to a real person and mm-hmm. it's just so crazy. I've been, I was telling Ryan, I've been so into like religions lately like there was a phase where like I was doing all this research on stories about people who like joined ISIS and Mm -hmm. like so now I'm like super obsessed with like this idea of like the ultra-orthodox Jewish community like because I just learned so much from this show about how like like the reason why they value like having babies so much is that they're trying to replenish the six million who were lost from the holocaust and she says that she yeah. says that like when she's at or anyway oh spoiler yeah, um blah, blah. but yes totally yeah. yes like, that makes so much sense like that is such a huge motivator like if like six million of your people were like violently murdered mm-hmm. like that would motivate me so much to do almost anything mm-hmm. and like just like knowing that because like there's like in Christianity and in a lot of churches there's a lot of like you know have babies and like you know it's people love having babies and being moms but there's no real like religious backing or reason to it and it just like I don't know something like clicked for me when like she said that in the show I was like oh okay 
that is that makes sense why that's such a huge part of their culture Mm -hmm. anyways it's super interesting I learned a ton it's a great show fascinating definitely a great quarantine binge definitely and um Waco and Waco yeah that's next for me maybe that'll be tomorrow's yeah tomorrow's binge it's really good yeah um Emily uh we didn't tell our good listeners what we're drinking here we're drinking a nice Stella Artois because this is Lightweight True Crime, a podcast uh, where two girls two share a drink and a story. story. And, and Netflix recommendations. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's become a Netflix recommendation podcast where we spend an hour just recapping some of our favorite things we've been binging. We could, though, is the thing. We could, yeah. We really could. Um, not a Netflix recommendation, but um, on Disney+, Plus, um, we've been watching Moana at least once a week. Micah's hit that phase. Micah's hit that phase. No, it's it's me. I mean, he loves, like watching cartoons but i pick what we're gonna watch nice um and i pick moana or mulan all the time Those strong are my two favorites female leads. exactly they're looking it's for fun. significance and not looking for love looking to save their people passing the be- the bechdel test with flying colors exactly Amazing. I, it was funny. Um, a friend of mine whose baby is a little over a year old. She posted this picture of reading him a book. I got them when he was born on Rosa Parks. And I remember almost not buying that book because it was for like a baby boy's baby shower. And I was like, I can't get a, and then I was like, yes, I can. Yeah, you can. Like, like women have to like consume all various forms of media and art and literature and see themselves in male characters. This little boy can absolutely right. see himself, himself in a female in character. Parks. Yeah. Good Lord. Also just to like bring up Rosa Parks because a bunch of people who are defying state home orders are comparing themselves to Rosa Parks. You That's are not, not in your stupidity. Um, you are not being uh, you are not like being civilly disobedient in a heroic or noble way. You're being an idiot and you're not actually being persecuted yeah. in the first place. So just as like a quick clarification point. Yikes. I didn't even know that. Oh yeah. Know people were doing that. People who are um, protesting all the stay at home orders. Uh, and yes, they're being compared. They're comparing themselves to Rosa Right. Parks, no one else is doing it. Which is deeply That's, offensive and ooh, inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah. This is also from like the same crowd that's like bend a knee at the anthem, hang him, oh you know. Gosh, yeah. Like, how dare he? Yeah. Then you don't you you don't understand anything, and you should be quiet. Yeah. Um. But that's neither here nor there. Those I are not our stories. No. Emily, tell me a true crime yeah. story. So I'm actually going to tell you the story of Waco. Oh my gosh! So. Yes. So I'm giving you a quick little sneak peek at to what you're going to learn when you watch the show. It's, Love it. So the, the show is nuts. I'm um, so excited. And if you haven't watched the show, don't think that just because I'm telling you this means that you don't have to watch the show because the show gives you so much more in-depth information and gives you a real personal look at it. Um, so this is the story of the Branch Davidians and the 51-day standoff in Waco, Texas. So who are the Branch Davidians? The Branch Davidians are an offshoot of an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventists. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Yes. So there are the Seventh-day Adventists. And then there was this guy who created this offshoot because he 
had said something or other, God spoke to him about something. So it was this offshoot. And then this other guy went from that offshoot um, and they became the branch Davidians. So the first offshoot was just Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. Now they're the branch Davidians. Um, and so the branch Davidians were created in the 1930s because this guy had said that he had this prophecy. That was my doorbell. <laughs> oh my gosh, it sounded just like the Zoom doorbell. And just I was like, like who's hacking into our Zoom? <laughs> you need to answer the door? No, I don't. It's, I'm sure it's, a, it's somebody bringing a package and that's oh. what the package people do these days. So Yeah, they ring doorbells, that's weird. They're oh, like, I need was... some kind of human interaction. <laughs> leave me alone okay sorry continue anyways so this guy I don't didn't write his name down because it doesn't really matter to this story he said that God spoke to him and he had this new prophecy about the second coming so they branched off from the Davidians and became the branch Davidians and in 1962, he moved all of his followers to this compound outside of Waco that they called Mount Carmel. Okay. Um, it has no running water, but it's got like electricity and everything else. It's this just this huge like acre acreage of like basically Texas desert that they've built. Like they have some like farm animals and whatever. They're pretty like self sustaining, um, but it's like really big and it basically has like, like dorms for people to live in. And like all the women and children live in one area and all the men live on another area. And, um, so the first guy who found like founded this, um, this branch died and his successor, George kind of came into power. So his successor, George Roden, um, came into power and started kind of butting heads with this other new guy um, whose name was Vernon Howell. And later he changes his name to David Koresh. Um, And when the predicted events, so when the, the main guy who founded it, his name was Ben, when the things that he predicted didn't happen, um, George and David Koresh kind of started butting heads um, because like people were like, well, wait, this prophecy didn't happen. And David says, well, he just interpreted it wrong. I have this new interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people there still kind of follow George because he's like, you know, the descendant of Ben who created it. But David is kind of their new spiritual leader. Um, and so George um, was trying to like show that he was like, better like he was a more spiritual leader so he and he thought that he could resurrect the dead so on a few occasions he dug up this woman um that he like knew and he would try to resurrect her body um and david on a few occasions right on a few occasions okay um so david koresh was like cool um this is this is my ticket to get this guy out so he goes and reports it to the police that hey this guy keeps digging up this lady (laughs) Um, and the police are like, well, you know, we don't have any evidence. So like, we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. So Koresh is like, okay, we're going to go get you some evidence. So he takes some guns and some other guys and they go back to Mount Carmel, the compound to get some evidence. Um, but it turns into this huge standoff. Lots of people shoot 
people die. Um, and at the end of it, Koresh and the men are arrested and charged with murder, but they're eventually acquitted. Um, and they go back to Mount Carmel. And because now there's kind of evidence in the trial, George had testified that, yeah, I did. I dug up this lady because I was going to resurrect her. He ends up going to jail, I think. Either way, he's out of Mount Carmel and David Koresh is now in charge. Um, so that's kind of the backstory of this Mount Carmel Waco compound that's happening now. So now it's 1993 and we have David Koresh in power. Um, and on February 28th, 1993 at 4.20 a.m., the ATF attempts to execute a search warrant relating to sexual abuse and illegal weapons. Um, so the ATF is the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms department. So what are they doing with a sexual abuse warrant? So the, the government, the ATF and the FBI have kind of been out, out after the Branch Davidians because they knew that they had a ton of illegal weapons. They were prepping for the second coming because their whole theology was based on the second coming is like now we got to like prepare for the apocalypse. So like everybody knew that they were stockpiling weapons. And so the ATF really wanted to get them on that, but they didn't have a ton of evidence, like because it was such a closed off and isolated compound, no one had really been able to go in and prove that they had that. But what they could do is they could prove that David had had children with children, basically. So part of David's thing was that he thought that he had to create like the next generation of spiritual leaders. Um, and he kept having these dreams that God was calling him to marry certain girls, basically. Yeah. And so he Yikes. would ma marry these girls. The youngest one was 14 and he would have children with them. Um, and so that was something that they knew that they could prove because they knew, okay, once we get in there, um, everybody in there is pretty vocal about like whose kid is whose, because David is the only one who's allowed to sleep with any of the women. So when, when people come to their compounds, the, like there's a ton of like, couples who come and they're already married and they come to the compound and they basically split up. So David marries the wife and have kids, has kids with them. And he, in the show, he, he's like, I take on the burden of sex for, oh my gosh. for all the men. Like, <laughs> yeah. And there's he's this a hero. Yeah. There's this scene where him and one of his wives are like, you know, doing it. And he's like, I have to stop. I started enjoying myself and sex isn't for pleasure. And the mm. wife is like, what? <laughs> okay. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. so the ATF are very dead set on getting them one way or another. So that's why they add this sex abuse charge. Um, so they try and breach the compound for like two hours. Um, and they kind of come to an impasse. Um, they, in the show, they, there was this camera guy, somebody tipped off a camera guy who was there filming everything. But n like in real life, they haven't released any of that footage or anything because things are still kind of up in the air of who shot first. Um, so 
At the end of the two hours, four agents are killed and 16 are wounded and five Branch Davidian members are killed and they don't know exactly how many were wounded at the time. So that was all February 28th. So now it's March 2nd. So it's been a couple days and the FBI and Koresh are trying to come to like a surrender because Koresh and the Davidians are like, we just want you to leave. Like they're not being held hostage or anything like that. They're just like, we're just, this is our compound. This is where we live. We just want you to leave. And the FBI is like, okay, well now like we're here and we can't leave. We kind of got to save face. We got to go in there and we got to like take these weapons and take these kids. Um, so Koresh agrees, okay, we'll surrender if you air one of my teachings on the news. Cause like he just really wanted to like get his, his teachings out there. So he films this hour-long kind of rambling about the second coming, and they play it on the news, and nobody takes it seriously. And so David is kind of embarrassed about how it made him look crazy. And so now he says he's not going to surrender, and he's waiting for a sign from God about when he should surrender. Um, And at this point, the FBI had taken over for the ATF, because at this point they were treating it like a hostage situation because they were trying to negotiate getting them to leave so that they could execute this search warrant. So the FBI has a tactical team and negotiation team there. Um, So the negotiation team is trying to just talk to David on the phone and try and get them out. Um, And the tactical team is trying to figure out how they can go in there and like seize everything. Um, So they're kind of butting heads the whole time. So now it's March 5th and the FBI finally get David to send a few kids out. Um, So they send a few kids out. And then a couple days later, all the moms of babies stop producing milk because they're really stressed. So now they need milk. Oh my gosh. So David negotiates with the FBI um, that, okay, well, if you bring us some milk, we'll give you some of our older children. So they trade milk for older children. And then the FBI cuts the power. Um, So they're in this compound, they have no power. um, And David is like, okay, we're not going to talk to you if you don't turn the power on. So they finally get the power back on. And so David is trying to now continue to get them to leave. That's the Branch Davidians just want the FBI to leave. And the FBI just want them, just want the Branch Davidians to leave so that they can come in and execute the search warrants. Um, so at this point on the 9th, it's been about a week. It's been, a, it's been over a week. Um, the tactical team says that they see some movement inside the compound that looked like they were setting up weapons, but it's not clear if they really were setting up weapons or not. Um, and on the 10th, they end up cutting the power for good this time. So now the Branch Davidians don't have power. On the 13th, David Kresh's mom retains lawyers um, oh my for gosh. David. So this now, is, this yeah. is layered. Nuts. So yeah. it's been 11 days. Um, David Kresh has these two lawyers, Jack Zimmerman and Richard Daguerin, um, who I think are some pretty prominent lawyers. Um, and so they're trying to figure out how to get David to leave. Um, because now David is worried that they're going to take his kids 
because like now they like now David is aware that like okay they don't want the weapons they also want to prove the sexual abuse um and so he's also saying like he's waiting from a sign he's waiting for a sign from God before he leaves um and so on the 14th March 14th the FBI decide to start psychological tactics um so they start at night they shine these bright lights in the compound so that it's not dark to keep them awake they also start blaring really loud music and noises like including some strange tibetan chants which in the show it's like like sirens and screaming and all this crazy stuff and like i imagine it was really even that scary which is just like there were 25 children and babies in there and the FBI was just like, we're going to blast this crazy nonsense that they're, the purpose was to break them down psychologically. Yeah. Yeah. And like how traumatizing yeah. it is for adults. Like it's got to be like a thousand times more traumatizing for these Definitely. kids and babies. Like there were like literally babies and like toddlers who like don't understand can't understand what's happening right so they're doing that um and then the next day on march 5th the fbi declares we're gonna stop listening to what they call the bible babble so they're like we're, we're done negotiating we're not gonna listen to any of your like theological religious nonsense and the whole time Uh, like a few times the FBI does like press conferences and in the show they straight lie about what has been happening. Um, I'm not sure like how much they actually lied in real life, if that was just for the show or whatever. Um, But the show is actually based on the memoir of um, the FBI negotiator of this. that's just a little, a little background. Um, and so on, um, the, by the 21st, a bunch of Davidians have left on their own and date, like David keeps telling everybody, like, you're not held hostage here. Like I'm not preventing you from leaving. Like if you want to leave, you can leave. Um, but God has asked us to stay. So basically like, telling his people like if you leave you're going against what god says so like in a way they're oh they're being manipulated yeah they're being manipulated um but they're not being physically threatened um so a bunch of people have left by the 21st um and then on the 22nd um koresh agrees that he'll surrender if he can have open communication with the world from jail so he is like come to terms with if I leave I'm going to jail but I just want to continue to get my message out so he's Um, a huge narcissist exactly exactly because I mean God has spoken to him so like he needs to get his message out yeah um so he doesn't actually leave he doesn't surrender because he still is waiting for a sign from God um and then on the 26th and the 25th both days the FBI tells Koresh okay, we need about 10 to 20 people to leave by 4 p.m. or we're going to take action. Um, Sorry, I thought I heard something. So by 4 p.m. on both of those days, nobody leaves. So the FBI go into the compound with armored vehicles and they start pulling out 
the Branch Davidians vehicles. So they pull out like cars and motorcycles and things like that that they have there in the show. They show this scene where they they have this like classic car, like a 70s or something. Um, I don't know. It, a cool looking car. I don't know cars. Um, and it, <laughs> a, a, a tank just rolls over it. like on purpose, like to just taunt them. I'm not sure that that really happened in real life, but But that was right. Maybe it did. That was just kind of the tactic that they were going for of like, you need to leave or we're going to start taking your stuff. Um, and so on the 28th, again, Koresh says he's waiting for a sign from God. And at this point, the FBI says that they're nervous that they're going to commit a mass suicide. Um, and they, right. Yep. So they're like, they're nervous that there's going to be another Jonestown and the FBI negotiators, they talked to, um, David a lot, but they also talked to another guy. I think his name was Steven. His last name is Schneider. Um, they talked to those two guys the most and both of them continue saying like, we're not going to commit suicide. Like you don't have to worry about that. If like, if you feel like you need to like threaten to like come and like rush our compound because you're afraid we're going to kill ourselves. Like we want to reassure you, like that's not going to happen. Like we're just, we're, we're waiting for a sign from God on what to do next. Um, and so they're like super adamant about that. And then on, um, March 29th, 30th and April 1st, 1st, April 1st, Sure. The lawyers go into the compound and they're trying to negotiate with Koresh still. So when the lawyers come out, they say, okay, David and the Davidians are going to come out either on April 2nd or April 10th, depending on when God speaks to them. But those are the two days that align with the Passover that they're waiting for. So those dates pass. And on April 7th, the FBI start prepping for an attack. So they start preparing tear gas and Koresh continues saying that he's waiting for God to tell him to leave. Um, and then on the 14th, now Koresh is saying he'll surrender when he's finished writing his manuscript about the seven seals. And on the 17th, a bunch of more members leave. So now it's been 49 days. It's been 49 days of like tons of days of no power all these people in there, the FBI is getting really impatient. Koresh is still saying that they're waiting for God. FBI doesn't wait for God. The FBI waits for no one. So (laughs) they start preparing to siege, siege. I can't talk. So April, April 19th, the FBI warns the Davidians. They say, okay, we're coming in today. If we, like, if you don't come out, we're coming in, we're coming in with tear gas. Don't attack us. We're not trying to attack you. We're just doing it to flush you out. We're not going to shoot you. We're not going to do anything. Trying to tell them it's like a peaceful way to try to get them out. But also it's tear gas, which isn't lethal, but is, you know, it's, it's tear gas. It makes you cry. It's super painful. It's not a bouquet of roses. Right. And in the show, what they it's like not an edible arrangement. No. What they say, what they're saying in the show is that like um that it's gonna be really effective because even though they have like gas masks in there, 
they nobody makes gas masks for kids. And so they're like, what's going to happen is all the adults are going to be wearing their gas masks and they're going to see their kids suffering and they're going to want to leave. So basically what the FBI is saying is that I know we're not going to tear gas the adults. We're only going to tear gas the children, which is so mm. awful. And so at 604, combat vehicles break through one of the walls and start piping in tear gas. Um, and what the FBI says is that around the same time, Davidians start shooting. Um, in the show, what's happening is they, the, is that the Davidians are trying to go to like their bunker. They have like an underground bunker where the tear gas won't penetrate. Um, and so at 7.30, um, combat vehicles break through another part of the wall when no one's leaving um, to try and pump more tear gas in. Um, and now the FBI has run out of tear gas. So they order more tear gas and bring it down from Houston. And by like noon, the whole building is filled with tear gas. Um, and in the show, what happens is that, and like the reason why I keep saying like in the show, it, it happens like this is that there's no accounts of what actually happened in the building. Mm -hmm. Um, what happens in the show is that like the armored vehicles that break through the walls break like break some of the walls down and some of the building collapses and um, make it so they can't escape. So there are Branch Davidians who are trying to leave but can't. Um, and then around noon, um, the FBI see three separate fires starting. And tear gas is super flammable. So the whole building sets on fire and burns down. Oh my gosh. Of the 85 Branch Davidians that were left in the compound that day, 76 of them died in the assault. Ugh. 25 of them were children. Oh my gosh. On that day, none of the children escaped. The only <gasps> people who escaped were adults. Oh. And in like the official report is that the Branch Davidians purposefully burned the building down and committed mass suicide. But survivors say that there's no way that they would have committed suicide. Even like throughout this whole, the whole time, they have said that that's not what they're about. They're just trying to get their message out. So it makes the FBI look really bad. Yeah. So it makes the FBI. FBI looked pretty bad. Um, and then I was, shoot, I totally just lost my train of thought. I got too excited about this. Um, <laughs> so no children survived. Survivors no children say there's survived. no way they would have committed mass suicide. Yeah. Oh, this is what I was going to say. So the plan was that they were just going to pump in the tear gas and they weren't going to actually try and demolish anything. They were trying to salvage the building. But what ended up happening is that right as they started like pumping tear gas in like shortly after they started demolishing the building so what like in the show like how they kept getting trapped was that like the armored vehicles kept knocking walls down and trapping people in there to make and made it like impossible for them to leave so whether or not it was like an accident or whatever but like in their plan it like clearly stated that they were not going to demolish the building yeah so um it's it's unclear on like a lot of things are pretty unclear on like what was purposeful from the fbi what was 
too reactive, what things the Davidians actually did. And what's hard is that like the Davidians basically all died. So we, we don't have their side of the story. And the leader died too, right? Yeah. yeah. He died in the fire. Um, so it's, it's, it's really easy for the FBI to say like, we saw them start fires. They did this on purpose. Right. Because they're not there to answer the question. Yeah. And it's always a really bad look when that many civilians die in right. an FBI raid. Right. Wow. So that's the crazy story of Waco. And I barely scratched the surface. I just kind of gave highlights of what happened. So watch the show, do your research. But that's v- it. Very well told. Very well told. Thank you. All right. Now I have to watch it. Yeah, you have to. It's super like I think it's maybe five episodes, but I okay. I told you I watched it in 30 hours. Like I started two nights ago <laughs> and I finished it last night. It's so good. Well done. Home of Chip and Joanna Gaines. You yes. Know? And Waco. And, yeah. And now Waco is known for shiplap and <laughs> farmhouse modern. And mid-century modern decor. Oh, that is funny. Okay. Beep, beep, beep. Beep, boop, bop. Beep, bop, boop. Um, I was telling Emily earlier that when I'm home and I've set my alarm, that's the text message my parents like to receive from me is me saying beep, bop, boop, because that's the sound that my Simply Safe makes. Simply Safe. Beep, bop, boop. So Emily, as I was researching the story, I thought to myself, Emily's really going to like this one because it's <gasps> it strikes me as an Emily story type of story. Because it's mysterious? Because it's mysterious. It is actually called the Sarah Joe mystery. Ooh. And um, I have a article from Medium to think called the Sarah Joe mystery disappearance in the Pacific, a website called real unexplained mysteries, <gasps> as well as mysterious universe. Whoa. So let us, mysterious. let us get into this. So it was February 11th in 1979 And five friends were working together on a beautiful sunny day on a construction site on the Hawaiian island of Maui. Ooh. Yes. Um, Their names were Scott Mormon, age M-O-O-R-M-A-N, not like Mormon, the religion. Not that that is important. Um, He was age 27. Benjamin Kalam, 38. Peter Hanchett, age 31. Patrick Wozner, 26, and Ralph Malikini, age 27. And um, when they were done with their work, it was such a beautiful day that the five guys decide that they're going to drive out to Hana Bay to to borrow Ralph's brother's boat. Um, And the boat was the the Sarah Joe. Got it. So they set out, and it's a beautiful day, perfect day to take a boat out, but two hours after they hit the water, the weather takes a drastic change for the worse. Gale force winds and torrential rain forced most of the other boats that were out in the area back to shore, um, and it was such a bad storm that it wasn't long before relatives of the five friends began to go out to the beach to search the beach lines to see if they could see the missing men or their boat because they were worried. So the next day, the Coast Guard gets involved, and they send out ships as well as airplanes to see if there's any sight of these guys. Um, But unfortunately, because it was this last-minute trip, the authorities had no real idea which direction the guys went um, and, like, if they had a destination in mind. So there was a lot of area to cover. 
Um, they even used homing pigeons that had been specifically, like, right, had been specially trained in locating people that were stranded out at sea. Wow. How do you train a pigeon to do that? I don't know, but it's very Noah in the Ark, the dove bringing back yeah, the, uh, the branch. And so it seems kind of genius. Um, and after about a week and after searching 70,000 square miles of wow. ocean, experts conclude that the Sarah Joe had wrecked and sank with the five friends on board. Dang. But family and friends were not ready to give up. And they raised enough money for the search to go on for another three weeks, um, but nothing was ever found. So that is 1979. Fast forward to 1988, when a biologist with the National Marine Fisheries Service, a man named John Naughton, who had incidentally been involved with the initial search in, uh, uh-huh. in the late 70s when those guys went missing, um, he was on a wildlife expedition in the Marshall Islands, which are 3,000 miles away from yeah. Hawaii. And he's doing field work inspecting sea turtle and bird's nests on a remote, uninhabited coral atoll, which I had to look up what is an atoll. It is a ring-shaped coral reef, island, or series of islets in this chain of the Marshall Islands, right? So it's like very small coral buildups that are islands but they're it's like you can't live on it it's not like sand it's right it's uninhabited okay um so he's like doing this biological research and he comes across a battered fiberglass boat laying on the sand so they they search the island for signs of like is there someone here um but they don't find anything. And so he and his crew contact the Coast Guard. And on this boat that they found, there was a faded registration number. So they they like patch it through to the Coast Guard and they discover that it was the Sarah Joe. What? Right? So, but the boat didn't have any other clues, right? There were no bodies, no clothing, like no yeah. notes of any kind. Um, so John Naughton and his crew decide to like search the area, hoping for more clues. Yeah. And about a hundred yards away from the remains of the boat, they discover a simple makeshift wooden cross and sticking out of the sand by the cross, a human mandible. Oh. Also surrounding what they suspected was now a grave. Yeah. Um, were blank pieces of paper that seemed to be stacked together with tin foil in between each page. Interesting. Like, like it was some kind of burial ritual that had happened there. Yeah. So they take the mandible and they send it to a forensic lab for testing. Yeah. And the lab is able to match it to the dental records of mm. Scott Mormon. What? Right? Um, keep in mind, they're 3,000 miles away right. from Maui. Right? I don't know much about boats, but that's really far. It's very that's, far. That's like the whole length of America, right? That's Long ways? Width, width of America. Yeah. Dang. So, and then there were other smaller bones that they discovered beyond the grave. And those also matched, like they matched to Scott Moore. Yeah. No other remains are found on the island. Um, and later searches of the island, they would find like other pieces of the boat, but there was nothing else that like helped them figure out yeah. anything. 
So this 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 island thing is it what I missed that was that part of the weird coral yes things yeah. mm-hmm. did it have like plants and animals it like, had like yes because he was there studying like birds nests yeah but I feel like birds can like nest on anything that's true um yeah so like, I, I have, don't know I have no idea okay just um, trying to get a get a sense of what this well I mean it's uninhabited here. so it's not right like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't. But if really there was say. like trees, they could eat like fruit or yeah, something. But like, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out how they would survive there. Um, I'm right. sure you'll there, get there. But there's no trace of anyone else ever right. having been there, which is right. the crazy thing, right? So it's like, who buried this guy? Right. So, um, but 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 the other bones were his. They find other pieces of the boat, but they don't find anything else. Um, since the Sarah Joe was designed only for coastal use, so to like keep like close to the coast, it wasn't meant to like journey yeah. out into the ocean. It was a mystery as to how it survived one of the worst storms on record and landed on a desolate island thousands of miles yeah. away. So while experts have agreed that the boat could have drifted there within three months. There had just been a thorough government survey of the island six years prior to when they found the boat. So, and the search, like, yeah. they had just searched that island, like, six years six before. Years before. Um, this means that the boat would have had to have floated in the ocean for at least four years. Before it got there. Before finding its way to the island. And there's no way it would have lasted that long. Well, like, maybe the boat would have lasted, but like, because it's but not I mean, like, like if it would have, like, I'm sure there are storms in the middle of the ocean all the time that I would have re- I really capsized it or something. Like you would think. Yeah. Um, but so it, like, that means the boat would have had to float for four years before finding its way to the island. So where was it that whole right. time? And why hadn't anyone seen any sign of it? Yeah. So additionally, the entrance to the lagoon where they found the boat is very narrow. And um, it seems unlikely that it could have just like aimlessly drifted because it like chances were high if it got to that area, it would have been first torn to shreds by rocks. Um, So more. Also, somebody buried him there. Right. Right. What the? I know. And then there are the questions of what happened to the other four men who had been on the boat. Yeah. Where are they? Who buried Scott? And why had his jawbone been placed on the grave? And what was the significance of the mysterious sheets of paper? Yeah. So although none of these questions have ever been satisfactorily answered, um, one of the most popular theories is that um, a Chinese fishing ship had found the boat drifting at sea um, along with the body of Scott Mormon, who may have tied himself to the boat to keep from being thrown off in the storm. Mm, okay. Um, the, the theory goes that the fishermen may have guided the boat into the lagoon and then buried the body, the one body that they had found yeah. out of respect. Um, and the theory is somewhat supported by the fact that the papers and the tinfoil resemble a Chinese burial rite, um, nice. in which papers as well as like tinfoil are provided to the dead as currency and as a source of fortune in the next life. Um, and then, so people, but people who say that 
the response is like, why I was that never reported that like, and they said that right. this might be because the Chinese ship had been fishing in the waters illegally. Um, but still that means that like that boat was floating out there for four years with this guy's body right. tied to it, which I, I guess isn't impossible, yeah. but it's still crazy. Um, this theory does not answer the question of what happened to the other four guys, whether they just drowned or um, if they survived the storm, if they drowned, I mean, they probably drowned, but yeah. um, where the boat had been in all the intervening years and whether like Mormon had been somehow like alive or dead, like when they found him. Yeah. Um, since no trace of the other four crew members has ever been found, it is likely we will never know for sure. Oh my gosh. And that is the Sarah Joe mystery. That's so crazy. Isn't that wild? Things that like is such that, a, that is an like, Emily story. Oh, that, it is. It's such an Emily story. I'm going to go mm-hmm. do more research on that because that's yes. so crazy. Yeah. Like, what, like what happened? <laughs> yeah. Like, it just doesn't make sense that it would be floating for four years with, like, nothing, right. you know? Like, I don't know much about the ocean, but I just feel like there would be storms within those four years that would have knocked the boat over. I mean, like, the Titanic sunk. Like, something yeah. should have happened to this tiny little boat. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it was the Pacific Ocean, not the Atlantic Ocean. So they didn't have to worry about ice, but. I feel like if I was in, granted, I don't know, but I feel like if I was a family member of one of those guys, I would rather not have found like those things um, on the island. Like, because it feels like with the ocean, there are very few possibilities about what happened. You know, like you can basically say like, yes, I'm upset that we never found remains, but like they drowned. You know, like that's what happened. I feel like I wouldn't have, unless you're like, even if you were like Scott Mormon's family, it's like, no, there's too much now there. Like for me to wonder about. Yeah. It would have been easier if he had just drowned. Yes. Um, So crazy. Yeah. So it's like, he didn't drown. Like no matter what, Scott didn't drown. Or, Or like maybe he died of like, of exposure and like dehydration right you know but he for sure didn't drown or else we wouldn't have found his remains yeah that's so crazy but then like also like why would the Chinese fishermen like feel the need to do that you know like they could have easily left it like if they were fishing illegally and they were worried about you know having to report it and turn themselves in like why not just leave it for it to capsize yeah. and maybe maybe they were like we're fit we're fishermen and like people who live on boats and like they felt empathy yeah that's true um that's true but yeah so I crazy. but like even the ocean is an enormous place like what are the chances that they come across right. it like yeah it this story mm-hmm. remind me of the Danvers Pass story and then what is the one that you told about like the five guys on the Oh five? yeah, the, the Yuba County Five. Yes, yeah, it County is five. one of those. This is the Ocean's Yuba County Five. It is, it really is. Yeah. Crazy. Ugh. Woof. So okay. Crazy. 
We're moving to the okay. detox portion yes. of our show where we detox from our Stella Artois, um, Artois. Artois, as well as all the horror we just discussed. Yeah. Um, and considering that we are um, quarantining, mm-hmm. uh, my question for you, Emily, is what item did you find on the grocery store shelf that made you smile and it cannot be toilet paper? Oh, man. I know. I actually haven't needed to look for toilet paper so I haven't even checked um it made me smile Mm -hmm. I discovered this oatmeal at Trader Joe's that I really like um it didn't really make me smile but I went back and bought a ton of it so that I don't have to go back to the grocery store in a while at a girl yeah at a girl I did also discover chocolate hummus at Trader Joe's. <gasps> what? Which is delicious. Okay, those are two of my favorite things, but I don't know if I would like them together. It's so good. It's, yeah, I don't, because it's not like hummus. I mean, it's, it's like pudding. It's, <laughs> no, because it's the same texture. It's basically just chickpeas and cocoa powder. Interesting. Um, so it's basically because like the hummus that I usually like is like spicy or like garlic. So it's kind of like the sweet version. Hmm. Um, and I eat it with these sweet potato crackers from Trader Joe's. So those, I guess those are the things that have made me smile. Huh. Yeah. That is interesting. Noted. I know. Cause did I tell you, I know I haven't told our listeners, but I went gluten-free to try and figure out this. Oh, I didn't know that. That's smart though. So, cause so many people have said like, oh yeah, I'm allergic to gluten. I got hives. And it hasn't helped so far, but I've been trying to go gluten-free. And so I went to Trader Joe's to find a bunch of gluten-free stuff. And oh, I good. got this oatmeal and this chocolate hummus. And you didn't have to wait in line. And I didn't have to wait in line. It's a, those, are, those are big wins. Yeah. Those are serious wins. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, so I've told you already about how the organic grocery store has toilet paper and how yes. that's great. But that's... That not allowed to be toilet paper. That's not allowed to be toilet paper. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, like, in this new town, like, figuring out my grocery store situation and, like, which one is going to be my usual spot. Um, and I have been spending, like, way too much money going to either, like, the organic grocery store place or the Safeway, which is a great grocery store. It's, like, a Ralph's, but it's just, like, expensive. Um, but we have a Winco. Do you guys have Winco? No. Um, we have a Winco here and I went the other night because it's also open like 24 hours. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I went, th- which is like nice. So I like went at seven 30 cause I was like, Oh, there won't be a lot of people. Yeah. Spoiler. There were still a lot of people. Um, but I've been looking for, um, I love breakfast cereal and I've been looking for smart start like everywhere. What and is, it's like that. A, um, it's like hard to explain. It's like, it's like cornflakes like a type of flake cereal, okay. but it's like, I don't know. It just has like just enough sweet. And I, I like, I almost don't know how to describe it. It's not like fancy or crazy, but I just really like it. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and I haven't been able to find it anywhere. And then I went to Winco the other night and there it was. Nice. Um, and I was, I was very pleased to find that. Um, it was also like, they had a lot of good mixers too. Cause I was like, better stock up on the diet tonic for the foreseeable yep future why diet tonic what so i don't so i don't have the calories so i can like keep my girlish isn't figure. it just water 
Nope. Well, there, there are, there's calories in tonic. Oh, um, I, don't, and also, I don't, I don't drink enough tonic <laughs> to, to, to know that. Um, I also am like consuming my body weight in ice cream every day. So yeah. you got to cut those cows somewhere, you know? I know we bought a giant Costco, like assorted, like drumsticks, ice cream sandwiches. Nice. And I had Smart. like two of them. And then the next day, well, like I had two. And then a couple days later is when I was like, going to go gluten-free. So now only Ryan is eating all of those ice creams and he's made it his mission to eat through them as fast as possible. So we have more freezer room. Yeah. I think Ryan is up to the task. Yeah, he is. Yeah, the other day he was like, I'm so sick of these, but I'm still going to eat it. I was like, <laughs> Don't even pretend like you're sick of it. Um, what a good husband really sacrificing himself. He really is. Him. Yeah. Men yeah. have such a struggle, you know? Yeah. It's hard for them right now. Um, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Yeah, wherever you're listening to us now, follow us on Instagram at Lightweight True Crime. Send us an email with some detox questions or cases you'd like to be covered yeah. um, to lwtruecrime at gmail.com. And uh, stay safe. Wash your hands. And uh, cheers. And cheers. 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 Does that mean we're recording? We are recording.